We are in Lesson 5 today. We're in Chapter 3. We're progressing right along. Let me, let me explain to you what's going on here now. Remember, Paul is frustrated with the Galatians because they have been influenced by these Judaizers. And these Judaizers were basically adding to the Gospel, telling them that in order for them to be accepted with God, they had to do certain things. They had to do, you know, they had to keep the law. Males had to be circumcised. They had to celebrate certain days and so forth. And they were adding to the law. And, and this was influencing the Galatians. And Paul was getting frustrated with them. In fact, he said, look, anybody who's adding to the gospel needs to be accursed. He then moves on and kind of defends his apostleship because these Judaizers are saying, you know, Who's Paul? Who cares about Paul? It's what the guys down in Jerusalem say. And Paul answers to Jerusalem. So Paul spends a good portion of the latter part of chapter 1 and then all of chapter 2 defending his apostleship and showing that the folks down in Jerusalem agree with his message and he doesn't answer to them. Now he's going to get into the heart of a defense of the gospel. So we're going to spend a few weeks here really talking about what the gospel is so that you understand. Because it's so easy and it's possible that you're here and you could even have your understanding tainted by something. Did you understand what I'm saying? You could have your understanding tainted by the reality of what the gospel is. You say, what do you mean tainted, George? I mean, I don't, I don't grasp that. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I go to a church, a Bible-believing church, how can I be tainted? Well, you can be tainted very easily. So, for instance, let me give you an example. As long as you go to church, you think you're okay with God. How many of you have heard that? How many of you? I don't raise your hand. How many of you feel that way? As long as I'm going to church, I'm okay with God. God, I'm going to church. Bless me. Now, that, my friends, is the tainting of the gospel. Because your attendance to church does not affect your acceptance with God. You understand what I'm saying? Your acceptance with God has to do with what Jesus did, not what you're doing. We say, are you saying it's okay we don't go to church? There's reasons to go to church. That's a whole other lesson. The reasons are for you to grow and to be encouraged and to be strengthened and to have folks love you when you're in a world that doesn't. See, our whole reasons for going to church are wrong because we have a tainted gospel. So let's let's as we go through the lesson, we'll we'll kind of point out those things and hopefully it'll it'll prod your mind a little bit. So let's look at verses one through six and see what's going on. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain. 
Therefore, he that supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, let's look first of all at his astonishment. Here's Paul's astonishment. First thing, he expressed his amazement that they would set aside grace works. Paul's amazed that these Galatian believers would so easily set aside grace for works. That they would so easily set aside the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and their understanding that he accepts them because of what Jesus has done for them for, I've got to do this now in order for God to accept me. Now, here's the thing, folks. You and I do the same thing. We so easily set aside in our lives grace for works. You say, I'm not doing that, man. Come on. Yeah, you are. Think about it. How many of you have felt this way? I didn't do my devotions here in the last couple of days. Just, I just don't feel right with God. How many of you have had that kind of thought before? A lot of us have, haven't we? What's the problem with that kind of thinking? Anybody? What's the problem with that kind of thinking? Okay, do you hear what he's saying? Christ is grading me on my devotional time, not on his love. Notice, and that's a good word, grading me. You know, you ever notice, how many of you had to bring your report card home to your mom or dad, and when it wasn't good, you know, you, you knew you were in for it. But when it was good, maybe you got a reward. Maybe they gave you a dollar or you know, it was a dollar in my day. Maybe it was ten bucks for you or something, or fifty cents depending on when you grew up, or maybe you didn't get anything, just an attaboy. But that, that was a reward because you did what you needed to do. See, we're trained that way. And, and the thing is, is that we can so easily get caught up in works, basing our works on acceptance with, as, as the basis for acceptance with God, rather than realizing our acceptance with God has nothing to do with us. Our acceptance with God has to do with Jesus Christ. And so what happens is, is Paul, if he looked at your life, he might be amazed. He was amazed at them. Saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute now, guys. He expressed astonishment. Here's what else. Paul states clearly that they had heard the gospel of Christ's sacrifice. Here's what he's saying to them. Look, look at verse 1 before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He's saying, guys, I don't understand how you got it wrong, because you clearly heard the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ was crucified for your life. Now, here's the thing. Think about that for a moment. When you and I fall into that trap, let's go back to the devotional thing, where we look at our acceptance with God based upon whether or not we did our devotions, or we made it to church that week, or here's the big one, especially in our circle of churches, whether we put something in the offering plate, God, I gave. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we saying? Anybody? What are we doing? Accept me for my works. And what have we forgotten? That we already are accepted by Jesus. Yeah, we've forgotten the sacrifice. That he did it, not us. 
And, and I understand how we can get there, because so oftentimes the teaching we hear communicates things. So, like, for instance, I remember very clearly a preacher telling me, I'm sitting in a congregation, he's telling a very large congregation, that if we don't tithe, God's going to get it. He's going to get it anyhow. He's going to get it whether it's four flat tires on the interstate or your engine blowing up. He's going to get it. So it's better to give it to him than have to give it to the repairman. And, and when you get that, how many of you have had that kind of teaching before? Okay. When you get that kind of teaching, you begin to think, oh, I better do certain things for God to show his favor to me, for God to accept me. Or how many of you had this happen? You go, go about, life happens, you have a terrible day that day. I mean, everything does go wrong. You do have four flat tires on the interstate. And here's what happens. You immediately begin to say, God's getting at me for not doing my devotions the last week. Oh, I knew I should have been at church. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? You're laughing, Gene, but there are people who think that way. Okay, well, I don't want you to feel glad you didn't attend church. I want you to feel glad you didn't attend that type of church, okay? Okay, so we, 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 you need to be in church, okay? You just don't need to go to a church that's preaching another gospel. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? George is not saying don't go to church because you might hear something bad. That's like don't go outside your house. Somebody may say something you don't want to hear. Now, here, here's what I'm saying. They clearly understood what the gospel was. You folks understand what the gospel is, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you. And that is the basis of your acceptance with Christ. It's not this other stuff. We add it. And we confuse it then. You understand what I'm saying? We confuse it. Now, here's Paul's questions. He's going to ask them a series of questions here to get them understanding how far they've drifted away from the gospel. So here's what Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit through works or through faith. This is a good question, my friends. Did you get the Holy Spirit because of something you did? Or was it because of your faith that the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit entered into your life as your seal, as your guarantee of redemption? Is what Ephesians would tell us. So, is it through something that you've done? So, next question. Having started by faith, do they believe that perfection comes through works? So here, here's the thing. He's saying now, okay, guys, you started out in faith, trusting in Jesus, but now somehow you come to think now that in order for you to be a good Christian, you've got to do stuff. And, and look specifically at what he's saying here, verse 3. He says this, are you so foolish? So, I mean, when's the last time you told somebody if they're foolish? You weren't saying it as a nice way, were you? 
Are you so foolish here, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now made perfect by flesh? He's saying here, is this your maturity based upon what you're doing in Christ? My friends, maturity in the spiritual life comes through the Spirit, not through your action. Because here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. I have seen, and some of you have been in church a whole lot longer than I have. I have seen over the years older Christians who do all the right things, but they're still babies. You know what I mean by that? They're still just as immature as they were 30 years before. So perfection obviously doesn't come by what? Doing all the right things. It comes through what? Faith. Faith in what? Jesus and what he's done for you. See, this is Paul. He's striking at the heart of it here. He goes on. He's got one thing concerning their suffering. He's going to remind them of something else here. He said, Paul asked if their suffering for the faith in Jesus Christ was in vain. So he's going to go one step further here. Look at verse 4. He says this. He says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Here's what he's saying, guys. The persecution that you're facing because you're a believer, because people mock you, and people criticize you for your lifestyle, people, it, it was all of that in vain. No. It was because of Jesus and your faith in him, not because of what you're doing. Not because of what you're doing. So he goes on one final question. He talks about the work of the Spirit. Verse 5, the work of the Spirit in their midst is a result of faith, not of works. And, and let me just stop for a moment. Can I tell you why that they would so easily fall into this trap? Because these Galatian believers were Gentiles, so they obviously went to pagan temples before, worshiping false gods. And the pagan system was based upon manipulation. So when they would do sacrifices, or when they would perform, do whatever, offering incense, or doing whatever that their religion called them to do, it was all in order to manipulate that God to do what they wanted him to do. So when these Judaizers come along and they say, you've got to do these certain things in order to be accepted with God, it's so easy for them to fall into that trap and say, okay, yeah, we've got to do this. Because it fits with the false religion that you've got to somehow manipulate God to do his work. And here's what he's saying. Is the Holy Spirit's work in your midst the result of manipulation in your efforts? Or is it the result of faith because you believe him to do the work? See, let me just stop for a moment. Can I be honest with you? Isn't that what we do? We're all guilty of it. We need God to answer us, so all of a sudden, we become holy Joes for the moment. We do our devotions even more. We pray even longer. We even try to phrase our prayers the right way with God. Ever done that kind of thing where before you pray, you're formulating in your mind what you're going to say to Him? Let me ask you a question. How far would I get with Lori? If I say, Lori, we're going to have a talk later, and I want to have a talk with you about something, and she's in the kitchen, and I'm in the living room, and she overhears me practicing what I'm going to say to her. And, and what? Yeah. So, okay, George, if she if if she says this, this is how I'm going to respond. 
That'll be a good one. And if I say this, maybe this will get her to do this. How far am I going to get with Lori when we do have our conversation? Why? Because she heard me, what? Practicing my manipulation. Can I tell you something, folks? He hears you when you practice before you pray. In fact, isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew? He, ha- he knows what you have need of before you pray. I'm not going to get far. Don't believe me. I, if I'm going to practice, I'll practice here at the office, not, not at home. So, all right. So, here's what I'm trying to say to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is because of faith, not because of manipulation. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Everything that he's questioning them about reveals that our tendencies are more human than they are faith-based. You hear what I'm saying? Our tendencies are more human than they are faith-based. Our tendencies are we, we operate with God the same way we operate with each other. Because don't we manipulate each other? Let's be honest, don't we? Don't we manipulate our spouses? We know what buttons to push. We know when to get out of Dodge. You know what I'm saying? Now, for ladies, it's easier than men because we have no clue about you. I mean, we're confused, you know. But the reality is, it's a natural human tendency to fall into this, and this is what Paul's trying to tell them. Guys, you are reverting back to the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh could never gain you acceptance with God. It's got to be the work of the Spirit. So then he goes on to verse 6 now, and he gives the example of Abraham. Our example is Abraham, who who was declared righteous because of his faith in God. Our example is Abraham, who was declared righteous because of his faith in God. So look at verse 7 through 9. We're going to talk about Abraham now. Therefore know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Okay, here's what he's saying. First of all, the sons of Abraham. Paul states that only those who have faith are the true children of Abraham. Why is he going into this discussion of Abraham? Because first of all, he's dealing with Judaizers who are Jewish, so-called Jewish Christians. Who are they going to say? They're going to say that they already have a spiritual heritage. They are the sons of who? Abraham. They are the sons of the promise. Well, he's going to come along and say, hey, wait a minute, now I'm going to strike at the heart of that and say to you that only the true sons of Abraham are those who have faith in Christ, period. They're the true sons. That's the true sons. He goes on now. The scripture foresaw that the Gentiles would be justified by faith. Here's what he's saying. Look with me at verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Here, all the way in the beginning, here's what Paul's saying. All the way back to Abraham. 4,000 years ago, folks, Jesus 
God knew that justification of us would take place through what? Faith. That's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. This was proclaimed to Abraham when the promise to the nations was given to him. This was proclaimed to Abraham when the promise to the nations was given to him. Notice what the promise was. In you. In who? Abraham. All of the nations would be blessed. Now, what, what is it saying there? Nations. Who's that? People. Now, let me just stop for a moment so you understand. When the Bible talks about nations, it's not talking about geographical boundaries like we have today. It's talking about ethnicities. In you, all the ethnicities of the world. Because you understand, when we have boundaries like the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, those are all things that have been really in the last few hundred years that have been established. What we're talking about, though, is ethnic peoples. So in you, all ethnic peoples are going to be blessed. He said that to Abraham long ago. Now, how is it that in him they're going to be blessed? Who would come through Abraham? Jesus. The promise was that through Abraham, all the world's going to be blessed. All right? Now, let's go on now. Look at what he says there in verse 9. Paul states that only those who truly have faith will be blessed with Abraham. If you have faith, truly have faith, you're not trusting in your works. You're trusting alone in Jesus alone. Not your stuff. Not what you did, didn't do. Not who you are, who you're not. Not what education level you have. Not what the, it is. Not any of that. But you're trusting in Jesus alone. You're going to be blessed. Bottom line. That's the bottom line. It's not about you. There are no red-headed stepchildren with God. Does everybody understand me? You're not a red-headed stepchild. All right, now here's the curse now. Look at me at verse 10 through 14. And we'll spend the rest of our time here. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become curse, a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is, is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, so let's look here. First of all, he's going to talk about the curse. First of all, the curse of the works. Those who seek justification by their works are cursed. He's saying to them, guys, if you're thinking that whether or not you get circumcised, whether or not you keep the new moons and the festivals, whether or not you eat certain foods, whether or not you dress certain ways, whether or not you do certain things, it's going to gain your acceptance with God. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, you're cursed. You're cursed. Here, let me bring it to us. Guys, if you think showing up here, giving in the offering, whether or not you do your Bible reading and have prayer, how you dress, 
what Bible you carry, where you go and don't go as far as a restaurant, is going to affect your acceptance with God, you are cursed. Now, why would he say that? Okay, salvation is by faith, not works. That's good, Bruce. What else? Why else would he say that? If I live my life in accordance with that, am I going to be perfect doing all that? Can I perfectly do all that? Because here's the thing. You know, I used to love it. And, you know, I'm glad we don't do this. But I was in a church where perfect Sunday attendance, and they would give you a commentary set. How many of you have had that where if you're there every Sunday, you'll get a commentary set or you'll get a Bible, you'll get a, a leather-bound Schofield or something. Now, what happens if you get sick? What, 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 how are you feeling? You're, yeah, you are feeling sick. Why are you feeling sick? I mean, forget the real sickness. You're feeling gut sick now. Why? You didn't get the prize, but you also didn't really live up to the norm, the standard. You understand what I'm saying? You didn't live up to the standard, so now, therefore, there must be what? Something what? Wrong with you. And you say, that's pretty ridiculous. Well, let me tell you something. I have witnessed a lot of people who come to church, and then all of a sudden they don't come to church anymore. Why? They're guilty. Because they missed one or two Sundays, and now, because they missed one or two Sundays, well, I, I can't go back. Why? Well, it's embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? I'll tell you why it's embarrassing. Because their basis of acceptance is based upon what? They're doing rather than their acceptance with God. Do you not think that God understands that sometimes you're not going to do everything right? Yeah, He does. Why? Because He died for your sins while past, present, and future. First of all, I don't think it's a sin if you miss church. Now, it can become a sin. You understand? It can become a sin. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Paul's saying that when you live that kind of lifestyle, if your life is dictated by, well, I've got to do this, 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 you're living under a curse because you're never going to be able to do it right. So, okay, let's, let's just stop. If you live under the curse of this, see, the Bible tells us very clearly that God loves a cheerful giver. That's someone who gives of their own volition, somebody who wants to give. But if you live under a an oppressive system where you've got to give in order to be blessed, can I be honest with you? Are there going to be times when, let's say, the engine does blow on your car and the roof leaks and the refrigerator dies and you get a sickness where the, the drugs are pretty expensive and the plan, if you even have a plan, doesn't cover it. And that all happens in one day. And so that week, you've got to take care of that other stuff. So that week, you can't put something in the offering. If you live under the bondage of that, your acceptance with God is based on that, how are you doing that week? 
Yeah, you're not doing good. In fact, here's the thing. And especially if you go to a church where they tell you, those things are happening because you're not given. Or you're not given enough. What does that tell you about God? If you live under that system, what kind of a view of God do you have? A taskmaster. Can you ever please him? That is not God. Do you understand why when you live under that kind of bondage, it's a curse? How many of you are, don't answer this, but think about how many of you are living under the curse? How many of you cursed, how many of you are living under the curse because you feel your acceptance is based upon doing this? Let's go on now. Here's what it says. The scripture states clearly that we cannot do all that the law requires. There is no way. No way you can do all that the law requires. Folks, you can't do everything the law requires. There's stuff even in the civil law that you can't do. You know what I mean? I mean, they're constantly adding things that you don't even know about until they write you a ticket. Do you know what I mean? And you're like, well, I never do that. You do now. And there's things, there is no way that they could keep it all. In fact, isn't that what Peter told, told the Jews after he saw Cornelius and his family come to Christ and they were rebuking him? And he said, look, why, when we could not keep it, are we trying to say that they should? Peter says himself, there was no way for us to keep it. You can't do it. You just can't do it. I mean, think back to the dear saints who said that women should only wear dresses. You know, it was two degrees last night. Did you notice that? That'd be awfully cold wearing a dress, wouldn't it? I mean, so, I mean, think about that. I mean, you're going to wear... What you've got to do is stay warm. This is reality. Man, you can't live that way. Okay, here's what just, true justification. True justification is this. No one is justified before God by works. No one is justified by God by works. You are never going to gain his acceptance by what you do. Bottom line. Why everybody repeat after me? I am not... Now let's just say it. I am not going to be accepted by God, be accepted by God because of what I do. I am not going to be accepted by God because of what I do. Now, do you believe that? You better believe it. I'm serious. Okay? It's not based upon what you do that gains your acceptance with Him. Here's what He says. One is justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. One is justified by God, before God, by faith in Jesus Christ. Now here's what he's going to say now. So you got the law, you got faith. How does that work together? Here's what he's saying. The law and faith are mutually exclusive. 
The law and faith are mutually exclusive. Now, in case you're here and you decide, well, you know, I really don't accept that faith thing, George, that, you know, surely i got to do some things. And it's possible because statistics show us that in our churches, a majority of those who call themselves born again believe that they're going to go to heaven, not just because of faith, but because of other things. So it's possible that you're here and you think that your acceptance with God is based upon what you're doing. Here, Paul wants to make a point to you and say, okay, I'm going to take your line of argument, but here's how well you have to do at the works in order to be justified. Here's what he says. Only perfect adherence to the law will justify a person before God. So how are we doing? How many of you try to start out your day today and said, I'm going to be good? How'd you do after the first hour? Were you? Were you? No. You can't. There's no perfect adherence. Nobody can do it. Only one did it. And he was Jesus. And may I remind you, he was fully God and fully man. There was no sin in him. The problem is we have sin in us. Let's go on now. He talks about being redeemed. Jesus redeemed us from the curse through his sacrifice. Jesus saved us from that bondage, my friends. Jesus saved us from the bondage of thinking it's about what you do. He took care of that. So then he talks about the blessing, and here's where we're going to finish up. Christ died that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. Aren't you glad for that? Because you and I are Gentiles. Christ died that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. And then here, finally, Christ died that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Christ died that you and I might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, next week he's going to continue on. We're going to look at, again, continue on in chapter 3. We're going to look at the second part of his defense of the gospel. We're going to talk about the priority of the promise over the law. We're going to talk about what the purpose of the law is. And we're going to talk about how faith has a priority over the law. And so we're going to look at that next week. So let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.